0: At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Amen. Turn with me, please, to your listening sheet and find Matthew 5. 20-22, through 22. this is a portion of our reverse text for the week and we're going to read this section aloud together. So if you would stand with me and we'll read. This then is the text for today. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. May God bless the reading of his word. You'll see on your listening sheet as you turn to Matthew 5, we'll also be in Luke 18 today. So you may want to turn there um, with me. As humans, we tend to rank our righteousness. Righteousness. And not only do we tend to rank our righteousness, we tend to do so in comparison to others' righteousness, right? So ranking righteousness means that we often categorize these things in such a way that we can elevate our sense of ourself and at the same time demean those who are around us. This is typical For human beings, this is the way we act. This is the way we behave. We love to rank righteousness. We find all kinds of ways to pat ourselves on the back. So we come to these moments and stories of Pharisees. You'll often see them patting themselves on their back. And it's not because of who they are. It's because of who we all are. It's what we do. So I want us to look at a separate text, a secondary text that points to this in Luke 18. So if you turn there with me, Luke 18, 11, I want you to see how this Pharisee prays and our tendency to do the same. So Luke 18, says this, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He humble brags as he prays. And he starts out okay. The, the prayer begins, as many of ours do, with this sense of thanksgiving. It, it's, a, it's a moment of gratitude, right? God, I thank you. But then you wait for it. And when he says, God, I thank you for, he pulls out, his rankings of righteousness. He looks around the room and he says, God, I thank you I'm not like that person. God, I thank you I'm not like that person. God, I thank you that I am better than them and I will always be better than them. This, this would be comical if it weren't so sad. It would, be, it would be funny if it weren't so true of each and every one of us. Now, I know what we'd say is, I've, I've never prayed like that. I, we've, we've never prayed, God, I thank you that I know what the P in the hymnal stands for, right? We, would, we wouldn't <laughs> pray that kind of a prayer. We, we don't use that exact language, but we've certainly meant it without saying it. That's what our flesh does. This is a bad habit of humanity, and we do it far more often than we realize You see, as we look at Matthew chapter 5 with Jesus, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. This very thing is exactly what Jesus is preaching against in Matthew 5. When you look down at those examples, so you see there's there's a few examples here listed this week, and we'll get to some next week as Jesus preaches where he he talks about murder, talks about adultery. Jesus teaches on, on flippant divorce, But it's not like we think he does. See, as it stands, all of us have this habit of defending ourselves before God. That's part of what the Pharisee is doing when he goes to God and prays, God, I thank you. I'm not like that person. It's it's this self-defense. It's a defense mechanism to say, God, I'm better than them, so don't punish me. You know, these are the kinds of things that we do, and it begins in our own heart. It it begins with how we rationalize our own sin to ourselves. So something like this will happen where we will do something inappropriate. We will do something sinful, right? We'll do something that we never should have done, and we'll have some kind of line that's similar to this. Well, God, I didn't murder anyone, I did this. But it's not as bad as that. God, I know I did this, but... It's like saying to our spouse, I know I, I, know I did this, but, but I didn't cheat on you. See, what, what happens is our mind chases down these, these other relative sins to, to make ourselves feel better. And as we, we, we chase down all these other things that are seemingly worse than what we have done, we get caught in this haze of self-pity. And we start to believe, well, I'm not that bad. And as we start to believe that, then we walk into the throne room of God, and this is our argument. Right? Our argument before God as judge is something like this. Well, I'm not like that person. my sin is not as bad as all of that and so if my sin is not as bad as this sin then you should take it easy on me God I know I shouldn't have done this but look at them he just divorces women left and right I I would never do that I I'm not that bad and, and this, is, this is how the argument goes in our own head, right? We're standing before God, and we, we look up to God and say, God, I'm, I can't be that bad, so we must be good. And God says, absolutely not. That's, that's not the way this works. They're doing the same thing that Pharisee did. You, you rank righteousness, and th- this, is, this is typical of religious people. And actually this is typical of religious teachers throughout the ages. Christian, non-Christian, religious teachers do this all this time. There's this sense of righteousness and, and we draw these lines. And we like to draw a line in the sand where our own little William Travis is, right? We draw the, the line in the sand and say, everybody over there is unrighteous. Everybody on my side of the line is righteous. The, the line is always just where we are, right? So that the, over here where I am is righteous. Over there where everybody else is is unrighteous, right? I, I didn't murder. I didn't cheat. And so there's the line in the sand. I then am righteous. Then we, we shake our finger at everybody else on the other side saying, You over there, you. You're not. This is one of the things that makes r- religion so awful, powerless. It's fickle. So we do things like this. So this is my own little version of that that you'll see on your listening sheet in there. We've got six things here. Run through that. This, so this isn't what Jesus teaches. I'm saying this is what we often come up with in our own heads. When we come up with our own religious practices, this is the sort of thing we end up with, this list. Start down at the bottom, number six. So, six, Satan's puppets. Th- these are the worst people that have ever walked the face of this earth, right? We think like Hitler, something like that. We think about the, the, the worst people in maximum security prisons where they throw the key away. We say there's some people over there, they're Satan's puppets, they're terrible. Then we go up as we're ranking people's righteousness. Then you've got these wildly unrighteous people. These are people that sin and don't care who knows it, right? They just love sinning and they're going to sin whatever they're, they're doing in life. Four is, is just the unrighteous. Now, this is where most of the world falls. They're not as good as we are. That's just everybody else, Right. So then you move up and you get the righteousness line. Th- these are people that are, that are claiming to be religious. These are people that say, I believe in God, I'm righteous, right? Then you move up. Then you come up, you're working up your righteousness rankings. Then you get to number two, just pristinely righteous. This is where almost everybody puts themselves, right? I'm humble, I'm not gonna put myself number one. I'm gonna be number two, I'm, I'm pristinely righteous. I'm trying really hard. I don't, I don't get 100% but I'm trying really hard, I get 70%, 80%. This is a pristine righteousness. This, again, this is, this, is what, this is what we often teach in the flesh. This is what religious people often teach. You have heard that it was said, this is where it goes. And then you got the holiestly righteous, these, these are the, the martyrs, these are the, the, the people that are better than you could ever imagine. And so these are like the Pharisees that would say of themselves, right? So we have all these lists, and, and we always put ourselves in that number two or number three category where I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as number four, number five, number six, so I must be okay. Everyone over here with me is good. And she said, you've heard this time and time again for 2,000 years since Jesus. It's what religious teachers have been teaching time and time again. Where are you on that list of righteousness? What number are you? As Jesus taught of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see as we work through particularly the next couple of weeks, Jesus has this rhythm, if you have heard this before, but I now say to you something wholly different. This is Jesus saying these religious leaders' approach to righteousness is ridiculous. They have no idea the way God sees this. There's no, there's no ranking system of righteousness. In fact, if, if we want to g- go with this analogy of, of, of the, the Pharisees kind of drawing a line in the sand, Now, we can think of Jesus like this, where Jesus wouldn't have drawn a line. In fact, it would be something more like this, that Jesus would have drawn a humongous circle about as big as the globe, right, about as big as the entire earth, and just this circle over the earth, and it just says, unrighteous, the whole lot of you. Right? The Pharisees had this line of murder. Anyone who's murdered is bad. Anybody who hasn't murdered is good. There'd be people in churches all over who might even amen at that. But Jesus, that's not how this works. That's not how God looks at righteousness or murder or relationships. You don't stand in God's courtroom and say that you're good because you haven't murdered anyone this week. In fact, Jesus looks at them as he looks at us and he says, "How many of you have ever been mad at your brother?" Go get in the circle. Hey, how how many of you have ever said, "You good for nothing, empty-brained?" Go get in the circle. How many of you have looked and said, you fool? Jesus said, go, go get in the circle. And it just covers the whole globe. And you look up at verse so Matthew 5, 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus says this, It would be easy for us to hear Jesus saying, do better. But that's not what Jesus is saying. That, that, That isn't a line to say, go and do better. Go and try harder. Jesus isn't narrowing the field of applicants for heaven because it sure sounds like it, right? It sounds like Jesus is taking the Pharisees' method to an extreme and limiting it down even further, but when in fact Jesus has done the exact opposite, Jesus has thrown the gates of heaven open wide. See, think of it this way, those Pharisaical lines that were, were drawn in the sand were drawn to be exclusive. They were drawn to keep as many people out and distant as possible. They were were meant to be a constant reminder of who ranked higher than another on a righteousness scale. But the way Jesus taught was as if the whole earth was in a circle labeled unrighteous. No one is good. Not a single one of you deserves to get into heaven. And Jesus talked about lust. Anger, divorce. He was teaching, none of you are good. Not a single one of us are good person. No one is good but God alone. In fact, if there was a line or some kind of ranking system, it would be God and then everybody else. It would be God, one, and then everybody else, just nothing. You, me, we, us, we are corrupt degenerates. That's the only ranking system there is. You see, the Pharisees would take the Old Testament, the law, the Ten Commandments, and they would use this as a gauge for their good deeds. And they would say, okay, I've kept seven out of ten, I've made a sea." I'm good enough, right? I've kept eight out of ten. I made a B. I'm good enough. I've kept nine out of ten. That's an A. I'm, I'm better than everybody in this room. That, that's how they used the law. That's how they used the Old Testament. But as we studied in Galatians, there was never the intention of the law. There was never the intention of, of the, the ritual and the practice of the Old Testament. The law was never meant to reveal how good we can be. It was just the opposite. The law revealed our sinful nature. To, the law was sent to reveal how corrupt we are as individuals. The law exposes us for what we really are, sinners in need of a Savior. We aren't good people making it one day at a time, a little better than that person over there. We're sinners who need the help of our God. Look back with me at Luke 18. we we'll go to Luke 18, 13. So Jesus is telling this parable, and He talks about the prayer of a Pharisee. And then we get to verse 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. So you got this one prayer, the, f- the first prayer. It said, God, I'm not that bad. Here, here's a line in the sand, and I haven't crossed it once. Many others have, but I didn't cross that line. God, I'm not that bad. Jesus, that, that prayer and that way of life has no clue. They have no idea how creation operates. They have no idea how heaven operates. They have no idea the way this world really works. Jesus says, the, the guy who gets it is the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because you, you see in this, the created order of things falls into place. God is on his throne. God, God is the only one who can initiate mercy. The only one good. The, the tax collector then, falling down before that throne, is penitent. He's recognizing his own sinfulness. And, and that's the category, right? That's the line. That, that's, that's the the. The categorization that matters, a sinner in need of a Savior, someone who has fallen and needs the mercy of God to stand again. You see, when we think about who we are as people, we have all these different categories for ourselves, right? We think about when we have have forms to fill out, there are all kinds of boxes that we check about who we are when we fill out those forms. Forms. But, but Jesus says the only category that matters is to check sinner or unrighteous, one who needs a Savior. That's the one that matters. All right, so when we go back to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, you may not have committed murder, but have you been harsh in your anger? speaking terrible curses over people that you shouldn't have. Right? You may not have committed adultery, but have you lusted ever that which you shouldn't? In, In our unrighteousness, our only plea is, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Now, I want us to fully recognize that both God and the church have been accused of burying people in paralyzing guilt. And up until this point in the sermon, you could say that's true. Right, it sounds like as we work through these things that God wants us to wallow in our guilt and feel the weight of our failure. But that isn't the case. But the gospel, the good news is you don't have to. The good news is God is merciful. The mercy of God is is abundant. Heaven is open and mercy flows from the throne room of God found at the cross of Jesus Christ. God knew from the beginning that you would never be able to dig your way out of your own guilt. And he would send Jesus to get you out. He would send Jesus to pull you out of that despair. Jesus came to relieve that guilt. Jesus came to, to pull you out from under the burden of sin. This is the mercy of our God. See, the difficulty for us is our human tendency is to say, I'm not that bad. And for every one of us who have said, I'm not that bad. We're saying, I don't need Jesus. And so what Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount is is what what He's trying to do with with, with the law, with the Old Testament, is that you are guilty and you do need Jesus to set you free. God shows us our guilt So that we can begin to understand how much we need Jesus Christ. That the only thing that will save us is the compassion of the cross. You you need God's mercy in your life this morning. You you need Emmanuel to relieve the burden of sin. will, Will you surrender to Him? Will you stop saying, I'm not that bad? Will you you come in near and pray like the tax collector, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Because mercy flows from heaven this morning. Will you pray with me, God, be merciful to me, to us, a sinner. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to know relief for every one of us buried in guilt. Lord, would you lift it off Lord, we have been broken in battle and we need Your healing. Lord, we we plead for You to send Your Spirit to mend our hearts. Lord, come in near so that we would know Your touch this morning. Lord, we, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us so that we might know you well. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.